So I want to try and see if, because I think the last episode we had was too... I'm trying to get the volume to be louder, and I just don't know how we can do that. What about if I just talk like this the whole time? <laughs> see, that didn't even max it out. That was good. Maybe it was that the gain was too... What about if I'm maxing it out? <laughs> Still, only barely just maxed it out. Maybe we should... Barely, you ah! say. <laughs> 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 you dick. <laughs> oh, I'm deaf. Jesus. <laughs> okay. We're going to look up Christopher Nolan IMDb. That stands for Christopher Nolan, I am the best. <laughs> oh, have you ever seen what Christopher Nolan looks like? He looks fucked. Have you never seen a picture of him? No. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is the best director <laughs> in Hollywood. What the fuck? <laughs> Look at his butt chin. Look at his eyes. <laughs> it looks like someone stuck fake eyes on him. Christopher Nolan looks like a shitty wax model of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I can't believe you've never seen what he no, looks like. I've never seen him before. Jesus. Oh, he's a fucking genius, man. Yeah, well. You should watch his movies. It's lucky that he, he doesn't he looks... need to rely on his looks. You really think that he looks strange? Wait till you see Inception, man. Oh, fuck me. Have <laughs> you really never seen it? Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Beef Station. It's episode 16. Welcome aboard. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. I reckon we need to be traveling a shitload faster than the speed <laughs> of sound. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a leisurely pace. We're enjoying oh, we're the scenic route. Taking as we... our time on Beef Station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beef Station, not in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, sure, no. <laughs> speed of sound it is <laughs> This week we're doing a listener suggestion Hell yeah I don't think there's anything particularly interesting showing at the cinema at the moment So, I mean, we saw <laughs> we, we saw a Crazy Rich Asians last week Yep So we decided <laughs> One, <laughs> one whole week ago <laughs> <laughs> Seven days <laughs> to the hour that we're recording this now, seven whole days having passed, yep. with a whole new bumper section of news <laughs> that we've recorded that's happened within the last seven days. And definitely not <laughs> roughly two and a half hours ago. <laughs> what are your listener suggestion this week? <laughs> doing another, doing, taking a few old films off the shelf, dusting them <laughs> off. Ramming him into the DVD player, <laughs> oh, no. hit and play, and oh. settling back. God, yeah, for seventeen fucking hours because yep. we're covering Christopher Nolan films this week. Yeah, yeah. Thank you to listener Anna for sending this one in as a suggestion. I think she suggested comparing two of his films, and we thought we'd just have a go at kind of. She listed a few. I think she listed The Prestige, Interstellar, in- Interstellar, and Inception. And Inception. Yeah, which are the three kind of yeah, big ones, I, I guess. Inter- Inter- Inception is good. I really like. Uh, Interstellar and The Prestige a lot more, and I've seen them several times. Interstellar in- in- Inception's is, fine. Interstellar's but... my favourite. Yeah. yeah. Also, kind of easy to forget that he's also the dude that did the Batman, the Dark Knight Oh, yeah, Knight he's unbelievable. Trilogy. It's he's... like, I, I, he's not necessarily, I don't know, he doesn't make like singular masterpieces. He's not like yeah. a one-hit wonder of Hollywood, but everything that he does is consistently just excellent. Yeah. You know? Well, so we were trying to decide on what we were going to do this week. And I think we were sort of going with, oh, maybe we'll go to like some favorite movies because it'll be easier mm. to talk about. Um, and you, you sort of listed a Christopher Nolan movie, and my favorite movie is The Prestige, sort of at the moment. It's hard to pick. So but, you reckon you know. that would that would be right up there with your favorite movies? Yeah, I reckon The Prestige is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. Um, wow. And we sort of figured wow. out, oh, you know, why, why wow. don't <laughs> well, why don't we just do a Chris- <laughs> why don't we do a Christopher Nolan episode? And that's what Anna suggested we do. So I figured, you know what, <laughs> kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. Um, Let's do that. Um, because we both really, really love... Kill two bats. At <laughs> we both really love Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I think the first film of his I saw was the Batman trilogy. Uh, it would have been Batman Begins for me, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that was really like the first big high-profile movie that he really did. Because he did a couple short films. I he think did... Memento got a shitload of... Yeah, okay. See, I've, I've never right? seen Memento. I know it's good. I know it's got I've a couple big... It. It's got so a couple big people in it. One but interesting got... thing... Yeah. Um, there is a well. I, I was. I guess this kind of counts as as news, but I hadn't heard anything about it. So apparently, he is writing a remake, also to be directed right. by him, of Memento. 
Why? He's rewriting the screenplay and he's also going to direct it. So it's going to be like a full remake adaptation. That's We're telling be... it chronologically this time and all in color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? The editing fucked it last time. It was all out of order. So we're gonna, we'll fix it up this time. It'll I didn't be... realize. It's just a normal dude that looks at some post-it notes. <laughs> he watched Memento 18 years after it came out. He's like, it's all jumbled up. <laughs> Gary, what the fuck did you do? Uh, no, yeah, but so but see, he did the Memento the editor has retrograde amnesia <laughs> <laughs> and terrograde. What do you mean? Um, so he <laughs> released mean, a film that I'd never heard of in the late nineties. It's only about seventy minutes called Following. Yeah, I've that never I, heard. Of I'd that. never seen. So Memento was his first. Big is anyone f- famous in Following? Um, I don't I look think now. so. It's got. No, no, it's not, no. Oof. It might have been like a student movie or something. Not great reviews either, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, so then, um, Memento was his first big one. That was about a, de- mm. a detective trying to track down who killed his wife, but he has amnesia. And Terrograd, so he can't form new memories, I believe. And so he has like tattoos of clues if he finds out something meaningful about the case, or he'll yeah. leave himself notes. I've if never seen, seen the, it, but the, apparently... If you've seen it, the meme with the still uh, where it says like, it's got a Polaroid picture and underneath it says, don't believe his lies, that's from Memento. Yeah. So um, so that's yeah. apparently a very good film that I need famous, to go see. Yeah. He's done Insomnia, which I've never seen. So there's a couple sort of smaller films, and then his like, third major feature film is Batman Begins. Which is actually insane, considering the quality of that film. Steps up tremendously. Yeah, he must have really like nailed some pictures and some boardrooms yeah. there to get a hold of that. Fucking yeah, absolutely. So he gets to do Batman Begins, then comes The Prestige in two thousand and six. Also an impressive jump because I would have assumed like, yeah, okay. So looking because that's at a whole. History, pe- I don't know about budgets, does, but that's a whole period film. It goes as so it well, goes which must be difficult. Batman Begins, Prestige, then it goes Dark Knight. Yeah. And then Inception, and then Dark Knight Rises. So, so I heard he, the thing he's about Inception kind of intercutting the Batman trilogy with these other films, massive yeah. other films. So I mean, I heard the thing about I mean, those other films is that they were sort and of they're really... all like one or two or three years apart. Yeah, he, he's pretty regular. That's crazy. Um, Normally, directors the, these kind of films can take four or five years to make. So yeah, it's a hell of a schedule. <laughs> you can be like, Normally, directors aren't that regular. Sometimes it takes Steven Spielberg up to up to a week to have years. a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but um, I haven't crapped in thirty days. <laughs> Two little draps, come on. <laughs> Anywho, I've heard that those those non Batman films are often like big passion projects for him, um, and so like the Prestige and Inception. I, I think he's in- just doing the Batman shit to fund his other movies. Literally, so I think yeah. with Inception okay. specifically, I heard that they wanted him to do a third one, and he went, "Oh, well, I'll only do a third one if you let me do Inception first. Mm. And so, like, yeah, okay, we'll let you do Inception, then you have to do the third Batman movie. Imagine not. <laughs> imagine being like, fine, I'll direct well, like, a fucking Dark Knight movie. <laughs> I probably could. I probably could look this up, but it, it might have even been something like after Heath Ledger died, he didn't want to do it. Right. I think he might have okay. had greater right. plans yeah, for the Joker yeah, yeah. or something. No, they definitely did have. That yeah. was going to be a third Joker movie, wasn't yeah. it? I th- oh, a well, second Joker movie. I think so. Yeah. I think it was going to carry on somehow, and I think he just didn't want to do it right. after uh, Heath Ledger died. And they said, "Well, if you give you if we give you the money to do Inception, which was like his sort of pet project, mm. then we'll let you do um, Dark Knight Rises." Yep. And I definitely think that in terms of superhero films, it doesn't get, or maybe it gets lots of credit, but like the Marvel films are sort of bandied about as being the most popular ones these days, but I still think The Dark Knight most popular, is the best superhero movie. Definitely not of the same quality. Those no. are excellent films. <laughs> yeah. You'll hear me, like everyone, anyone that's listened to this knows how much I, I kind of dislike most Marvel films because I think they're low quality films. They might be good subject matter, but <laughs> they're low of, quality A lot of them are good, films. but in general, they feel like just like money grabs. Yeah, which I yeah. think is, that for me, that is... You know, it's like uh, sacrificing sign quality, quality. But yeah. exactly. But these ones do neither. They are they are yeah. excellent quality and uh, and and extremely high budget. And obviously, like I mean, Zack Snyder's DC shit isn't touching the the quality of the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Well, no, something that I really like about Christopher Nolan, and I think I mean, maybe some Zack Snyder stuff kind of recalls this a bit. Watchmen something about good. Watchmen. Everything else he's done since then is yeah. piece of shit. Um, but something I really like about Chris Nolan is how grounded in reality it is. Yeah. Um, like, and so all of the Batman stuff is very sort of almost scientific in the way that it tries to explain how his gadgets work, and it sort of very in detail explains what would otherwise be sort of wacky, weird comic book, cartoonish kind yeah, of characters it, so, and weird politics kind I of right stuff. Am I right in saying? Really 
Sorry, you finish. Oh, that was what I was going to was going to say. Like, you know, he sort of explains the politics of the city and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, really yeah, interesting. Yeah. And sort of really fleshes out this world. Yeah, but he doesn't. It's interesting because he doesn't get stuck down into it. It never yeah. feels like he's trying to to overdevelop the well, world. It's it's just yeah. really natural. It's it, like he gives just you, enough to establish a certain mood. Yeah, I think so. We were, right before we started this, we were watching a nerd writer video on um, on uh, Nolan films in general. And, you know, his focus is, like, really immersing you in the worlds that he creates. And I think when he's doing that world building outside of the journey of the main character, he only gives you... He gives you exactly enough information to interest you, progress the plot... Uh, inform you as a viewer of the surrounding circumstances, but then he drops it and he's straight back onto the action, like forward-moving plot plot stuff. So I think it, it it's really the way that he assembles his films, moves them forward. The pacing of um, of Nolan films is really excellent. Yeah, and I mean, especially considering that f- some of them are like fucking three hours long. Yeah, so Interstellar's a long boy, man. Uh, I think yeah. it's like two and two two forty five or something. It's, like yeah, that. it's almost three. Maybe hours. It's, it's even ridiculous. three hours. Like yeah, I think the credits cross into three hours. Like, <laughs> it's uh, that's a long ass film, and to have that same quality and pacing, I per- some people said Interstellar was too long. I think if you think movies are too long, you have a short attention span. Well, no, I mean, I, I certainly think there's a certain art. To concise storytelling, pacing can be bad. Yeah, well, not even pacing, just like but, um, uh, again, I've been watching The West Wing a lot this week, yeah. and there was a whole scene with speechwriters where the guys like you mean last week, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> last week on the seventh of September, <laughs> from the <laughs> to the first of September, <laughs> today the fourteenth of September when we're recording this. <laughs> I mean, I've watched a lot of the West Wing recently, and there's this whole scene where the, these speechwriters are talking, and the head speechwriter says to some guy, like, write me 500 words about the importance of economic policy. If it's 501, don't show it to me. Right. And it's like, yeah, sure, you can make a valid point. You can make a great movie if it's three hours long. But arguably, a movie's going to be more enjoyable for an audience if it's shorter. I think it's Steven Spielberg that said that the, the practical length of a film is limited by the, by the, um, the volume of someone's bladder. Like, no one's going to mm. want to sit through a movie really for three hours unless it's fantastic and so there's there's a certain point at which the the movie overstays its welcome and it's like right well you can make a great three-hour movie but to some degree it would have shown more talent and artistry in storytelling and script writing to have whittled that down to two and a half hours i don't necessarily agree with that i think that an interesting thing because i i read i mean it's not a cover-all thing no sure sure but this was a this was a reddit comment recently so like probably the person writing it was an idiot (laughs) But um, they said, like, it's funny how... It was a shower thought. It's like, it's funny how yeah, people yeah. think that a three-hour movie is too long, but watching three Netflix episodes in a row is, like, nothing. Yeah, that, I it's thought like, that was stupid. L, it is Because stupid, three TV episodes have individual story arcs and they have their own well, setup and Well, no, they don't have ending. to, because if you watch, like, Stranger Things, it does obviously yeah, have, like, micro arcs. Each but episode is individually edited and put together and filmed and written to be individually consumable. Like, you couldn't, yes, just, the you couldn't just go duration, in and just it, watch the middle bit of Inception. Are, they're saying people are happy to spend that length of time consuming media. So, the issue is not with the length of time. The yeah, issue okay. is with the pacing. I see right? what you're saying. So, it, uh, and, uh, like, I, I, I think also that the comfort factor in, like, wanting to get up and do something else for yeah. a while. You don't want to sit in, a, in the same seat for six hours. Yeah. Right? That would be ridiculous. But... A good example is Hateful Eight, right? Which is a film that had a an I- intended uh, intermission in yeah. the film because it was a long ass film, and Tarantino yeah. might have known that people would want to take a break. Yeah. So, and our session didn't have that because it was only on the thirty-five millimeter. Like, I think film the seventy, reel, the 70, 70 print was going to have yeah. like a twenty-minute intermission with like yeah. a full score. And some for the intermission. Yeah, exactly. It sounded fantastic. Like and some the, movies should. So the cool bit about that bit was was going to be because the film kind of the first half kind of sets up this who done it kind of thing yeah, and then, and then the second half kind of shows you how it happened it's yeah. a bit of payoff and so he wanted you to sort of go out a bit like an Agatha Christie movie and sort of, and like, try and sort of talk, talk about, about who yeah. you th- what you think's happening and who the most suspicious characters are and all that yeah. and so in addition to having a break it sort of but yeah, and that sort of breaks it up and it makes you feel like you're kind of watching two movies which yeah. Again, yeah, I guess this is what it is, like getting up and having a stretch and just being able to sort of chill out a bit and yeah. not be focused on the screen. So I reckon the length of the film is not the problem. Pacing yeah. can be bad, and yeah. sure, absolutely, that's an issue. But I think if you, like, maybe we should start, in well, we, maybe <laughs> m- maybe there could be, a, you know, a movement towards that, like, hey, we know we recognize that you're a human being watching a movie. Yeah. Take five, come back. Yeah. 
you know? Well, I agree. I, th- I think that... Um, I don't get bored in a three-hour movie. I didn't get bored in Inception. I wasn't... Uh, in Interstellar, sorry. I wasn't uncomfortable. Well, it's not a matter I of getting really bored. It literally it. is just like, <laughs> you need to get up and piss. Yeah, sure. But like Boyhood was three hours. Some people said it could have been two. I don't think so. I think if yeah. you're telling that story, you've got to take your time. And well, if you don't take your time, it's going to be worse for it. Yeah. But also, yeah, you're a human. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not averse to long movies. Um, and I think that... Because Christopher Nolan's one of my favorite directors. Yeah. It's just that I, I think that there are some in some cases where like a movie is bad and long and it could have been shorter and better. Yeah. But um. Yeah, definitely, I agree. And one of the one of the reasons why I still love going to the cinema is that I mean we we might all have short attention spans these days, but I, I find that like if I'm watching a really long movie Fucking at home, millennials. <laughs> I find I'm sort of pausing it and playing it and maybe like looking at my phone or whatever. <laughs> and even though I want to watch the movie and I want to enjoy the movie, yeah. I've chosen to watch it. Somehow I'm like fucking myself. You're terrible at that shit. Well, I mean, the phones, I mean, <laughs> maybe it's just because sometimes we're watching shit together and I don't want to watch whatever it is we're watching. But like, usually... We've, what- we've watched stuff that you wanted to watch and mm. you're like on your phone halfway through. You just yeah. have a terrible attention span. <laughs> my point is, when you go to the movie, it's like you're, f- it's like forcing you to like, yeah, no, sit you down, use your watch, phone or fuck you can't around. pause it. Yeah. And, it's not as if, yeah, again, it's, it's not as if, like, I don't want to watch whatever I'm getting forced mm, to watch, mm, but it's just, like, something about the, the, it forces you to pay attention the whole way through. And I think that for It's film, like blacking out the rest of the room. Like, yeah, exactly. And for films yeah. like Interstellar, it definitely helps to have that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, there are some long, drawn-out scenes that aren't necessarily boring, no. but I think within the context of, like, watching it in a cinema, they're enhanced significantly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. Do there's something th- about, like, y- you're just a bunch of sensory organs. Like, there's something about <laughs> kind of locking yourself in a dark box with only one source of stimuli mm. that's going to make you focus on that source of stimuli a little bit differently yeah. to if you're sitting in your bedroom at home, like, just watching it on your phone or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so one, of, one of the things I really like about Christopher Nolan's films is that they're all they all have some sort of puzzle element to them. Yeah. If you know what I mean? So, like, inter- they all have some sort of Hit me. fascination. Also, Memento is sort of edited non-linearly, and so you're sort of trying to work out what's going on as you watch it. Sure. Inception um, is just impossible to understand, and there's no way that any <laughs> it's human... only for very smart people. <laughs> there's no way any human could possibly comprehend what's going on in Inception. Um, and then, like, Interstellar has this whole... Maybe it's just, it's not really a puzzle thing, but he has this fascination with time and the way that time mm. affects his storytelling and his filmmaking. And so, in the way that that's wo- that concept is woven into Interstellar is the idea that they're on this voyage through space, much like we are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> here on Station Beef. Yeah. Really <laughs> sucks having to receive all these films in tiny little 8 bit increments <laughs> transmitted via radio waves. <laughs> We're going to get Smokey and the Bandit soon. Yeehaw. <laughs> Can't wait to see what Burt Reynolds puts out next year. Uh, still catching up on fucking Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Alf, he yeah. eats cats. Oh, Who love, eats cats? I love Burt Reynolds. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite actors. <laughs> Can't wait to see the next bit. <laughs> um, but, so they're on this space voyage. and Kevin Spacey. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> His character just died in the new season of Yeah, House actually, of I meant to include that as news on last week's app <laughs> um, <laughs> Where they open with a shot of his tombstone Yeah Yeah, so I think that's pretty clear <laughs> and, then, and then his hand pops out from under the grave and goes <laughs> <laughs> right, right up into the uh, young security guard's groin Standing <laughs> over the grave Moving right along from that So they're on a voyage through space (laughs) And the idea is that they're travelling near like a giant black Black hole hole. Yeah And so like Uh, If you haven't seen Okay, all the rest of these movies Yeah, sure you kind of missed out on a bit of a zeitgeist thing Interstellar Just go watch Interstellar I don't know who hasn't seen it But go watch it Because it's really good All all his films are good Yeah, watch all of his films But we're Mm. probably going to be I don't know. Interstellar came out 2014. We're probably going to be full spoilery. I'll give you a heads up before episode. I say anything full spoilery for sure. each, each new film we discuss. But yeah, yeah I think I'm I not going to remember to do that. <laughs> I specifically wanted to try and talk about the spoil Interstellar, The Prestige, um, and that was probably it. Inception, maybe. Inception, maybe. Um, <laughs> Inception, de- I feel like Inception and Shrek, two movies that everyone's definitely seen. Yeah, right at the end when DiCaprio puts the spinning top up his butt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so they're on a voyage through space. <laughs> <laughs> and they travel in this black hole. And the idea is that like, rel- for relativity purposes, one hour on the spaceship near the black hole yep. is like might be like a year back on Earth. Yeah. And the closer they get to the black hole, one hour is like seven years. And so as Matthew McConaughey, who's been sort of forced, not really forced, but sort of coerced for the betterment of humanity to go on this voyage. It's like, you're the only good pilot we have left mm. to go on this voyage to sort of like try and find a new home I for humans. You you're the only good pilot we've got left. <laughs> <laughs> was that Michael Caine? It's Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, um, he just popped his head in the room, <laughs> yelled that into the microphone. See you, Michael. Yeah, see you, mate. Bye. <laughs> oh, <there he> is. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, and and so you get this, and so you get like these these shifting timelines. Yes. where we get to watch uh, Cooper Matthew McConaughey's character's name's Coop. You get to watch Coop's kids grow up and become adults. Mm while Cooper is sort of almost remaining the same age on the spaceship. Like, he might be on the space journey for, like... I stay the same age. (laughs) Oh, boy. Like, he might be on the ship for, like, a year or two. Yeah. And his kids... like his. That's also his line, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also his line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very Him and dazed and confused. that's good shit. (laughs) That's Um, the opposite of his line, but yes. Really cool film, though. I've... Freaking Dazed love this movie. Dazed and Confused. This, the rest of this movie is about... The rest of this episode is about Dazed and Confused. Um, but one of the best bits about this we film... We should do a Matthew McConaughey episode. <laughs> I'm really, to be honest, not that familiar with him. Like, people are talking about, like, the Matthew McConaughey... The Matthew McConaissance. Because, nice. like, there was this, like, sort of... Uh, after, like, uh, Dallas Buyers Club and a whole bunch of other big name yeah, arty films like this. Yeah. It's like, wow, Matthew McConaughey's in good movies now. I'm not... True I'm not Detective old enough. Was in, yeah. If you have, have you seen True Detective season one? Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, fuck yeah, go watch that. I'm not old enough to like remember Matthew McConaughey being in like shitty movies. No, I've never seen. So any I've just of the only ever seen him was like an amazing actor. You were trying to make a point. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I think I was just Sorry, trying to <laughs> 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 to summarize the plot. I was having a chat with a friend listener <laughs> a couple of days ago, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I reckon we might try to make these apps a little more structured, huh? Just like <laughs> include some some topics for ourselves, just to guide the conversation." Well, we're Throwing that <laughs> right up the fucking chute because uh, no, <laughs> just yeah, twenty minutes in, listlessly drifting through space. Fucking Kevin Spacey, <laughs> Kevin Spacey, fucking. <laughs> it's not funny. Um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> feel free to find that point that I that I derailed multiple fucking times. <laughs> um, the thing that you liked about Interstellar, I think. Yeah, I don't think there was anything. That was it. Oh, you no, you didn't like it. Um, <laughs> it's set in like a near future where global warming has sort of Climate dried out the planet yeah. and everything's really dusty. And as years go on, less and less crops actually grow. And mm-hmm. so I think in this part of America where Matthew McConaughey lives with his two kids and their grandfather, um, his wife has died already. He used to be like an engineer and a great pilot in the Air Force. Mm. And now, as food has become more scarce, there's less value placed on scientific pursuits. And it's become increasingly seen as sort of almost irresponsible and reckless and almost like selfish for humans to want to focus on scientific pursuits like space travel and that. And so NASA has been completely disbanded. Um, There's no value on like scientific education in schools. Like one of his, his his daughter comes home and shows like the textbook teaches that uh, the moon landing was fake. Yeah. I, I forgot that that was a whole part of the movie. Like that, the, the the schools there like teach that the moon landing was like fake Russian, fake propaganda to teach, yeah. cause the Russians to um, spend more money on their like space race or whatever. Mm. Um, and he's, so he's this really scientifically minded guy that's been like, uh, been forced to like go back to this a, life of farming. Like, and he he's just like, he's an astrophysicist, isn't something, he? He's, I think he was a pilot and an engineer and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's been sort of forced into this life of farming and I think all he can grow now is like corn. Um, yeah, that's all. Uh, yeah, the the America, you, it 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 has this weird like combination between um, like space engineering yeah. and uh, and like American industrial agriculture. 
Um, yeah. Where, like, yeah, he grows up on this... Or, not he grows up, his family is being raised on this farm where, yeah, all they can grow is corn because, like, all the topsoil has been eroded and then it gets windy. So, they get these regular dust storms yeah. that just completely, like, wreck everything and make crop farming incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's forced to, like... Th- their livelihood comes from, from just farming. Um and this is, like, the reason he's recruited for this mission is to try and find... They, they've been able to, like, scan through a wormhole they've discovered exists near yeah. Saturn. And so, they, they've they've been able to, like... In the same way that right now where we observe stars, we're only really observing, like, information from the light that they give off. And we're inferring a shitload of information from that. They're inferring yeah. the existence of a few planets that we might be able to colonize. Yeah. That might kind of hold that salvation and hope for the rest of um, humankind because the planet's just irrevocably fucked. I think the idea being like any actual planets like that are too far away from Earth to conceivably ever travel there. Yeah, but even the if you have this like cryo sleep thing, but the wormhole means that they means can travel to this wormhole yep. and get there way quicker. Yeah, and they don't know why the wormhole appeared. It just kind of did one day and yeah. started giving off radio signals and stuff. So that it's kind of become like this. Um, I think they're using it as a bit of a metaphor as well for like the the focus of humanity and being like our kind of like um, uh, last hope. You know, it just comes down from some sign from above. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's he's being recruited for a mission to send... He finds, like, sent a bunch undercover of... NASA that are, like, an underground yeah. organization now that are, like, a secret part of the government because of how much, like, American society... Has, like, degraded. Has a distaste for science. Yeah. And about, like, why would you be wasting money on science when there are people starving? And so, like, I think they've sent a couple of people through in probes to a few of these planets. The in- the intention was to send, I think, one person through each of the... Uh, right. One person to each planet. So, the, yeah. So, the idea is they had 16 great astronauts. Yeah. And then they sent one person to each of the 16 planets that they Viable could sort of see planets. through this wormhole. Yeah. They couldn't tell anything about them. And so it was like a suicide mission for most of them. And they yeah. were like, right, you're going to send them through. And then we're not going to know anything about, we're not going to be able to receive very much data at all through this wormhole. Yeah. Or we can really get us like a so binary signal. So if you get to the planet and the planet's yeah. going to be good and inhabitable for us, just send through a yes. And if it's not, then send through a no. And like, sorry, you're dead. Yep. And so the idea is Matthew McConaughey gets sort of, he sort of accidentally finds NASA. Mm. And they say, "Fuck! Well, I'm glad you're here because, like, we do actually they, do." They contact him. They don't. So, um, it's it's like a, it's like a sp- it's like a spoilery plot point of the movie as okay. to how he gets the coordinates. He finds these like mysterious coordinates, right? And him and his daughter are like, well, let's go find out what's here. Well, yeah, I wonder what okay. these coordinates are. And so he goes there, and it's NASA. And he's like, "Oh, fuck!" And um, right. they, they get like brought in and he's like how did you how did you find this place and they're like oh we, we're just exploring like well, you have these fucking coordinates written on a map and like, and they can't really explain oh, that's how they, right yeah yeah um and so the, the idea is like well i'm glad you're here because this is nasa surprise we're not dead and we need you you're like the world's you're like the best pilot we ever had yeah all the other pilots we've only michael kane works at NASA. yeah it's michael kane yeah. and all the other pilots we ever had never got past the simulator you're the only pilot we know who has like actual like in-flight training experience yeah it's crazy to me that they never bothered to try and find him but <laughs> whatever yeah um and they're like well now we have some of these astronauts most of them are probably dead or like didn't find a good planet i get the feeling he might have opted out of kind of being followed yeah. or contacted yeah so. maybe yeah um but they, they're like we have three pl- three people who are like broadcasting a yes that are viable alternatives yeah. so we're going to go through the wormhole now on like a manned mission to like with a with a, a crew of a few to rescue the person who found a yes yeah and set up a base, set up camp, a base on this planet. Figure out a viable location to start a colony. Yeah. And with them, they're bringing a whole bunch of um, eggs, like human embryo eggs. I think so. And, and like plants uh, and shit. Yeah. So they're going to, the, I think the point is to start like a, a recolonization thing. Yeah. Um, it's not like they're going over to be the, the, the seed of the human race. Like they're going to IVF. <laughs> they're going to IVF <laughs> a heap of people. And, and Hathaway and. <laughs> Well, that's a common that's a and common sci-fi trope is where like you guys are the yeah you guys have to fuck and then that's going to be how humankind is reignited. But it's not like that. They're going to IVF a bunch of humans. Yeah, into um, existence. So it's like, well, everyone on Earth is fucked, but humankind as a species might be able to survive elsewhere. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. And so, but the whole film feels really real. That's like the first uh, like hour as well. It's, oh, it's maybe like, not that much, but like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's maybe a, less. That's mm. my point. That's a huge amount of storytelling to yeah, fit right. into like 
I don't know, half an hour, 45 yeah. minutes. I feel like I remember skipping through this movie at one point while I was watching it on Netflix or something. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember, like, I skipped, like, 10 minutes forward. And it was from, like, them at NASA to McConaughey being in the spaceship. And I was just like, well, fuck. He was at NASA. Who would have thought the spaceship comes next? No, like, in <laughs> 10 minutes, that's not a lot of time. Yeah. And I never felt like this story skipped too fast. So, yeah. when I was watching it in, in its entirety. So, <laughs> I, I feel like, um, yeah, just, just skipping through it, like, this fucking movie. <laughs> this makes this no leaves, sense. leaves out heaps, minutes at a time. <laughs> um, I, I never felt like it was rushed or that it skimmed over something crucial or whatever. So, I think it's a real testament to the fact that he manages to cover Nolan as a director and as a, as a, um, yeah. a writer sometimes. Mm. Manages to cover so much ground without making you feel like he's covering that much ground. It's just a sensible yeah. amount of ground where your brain is like, yep, yeah, cool. That's yeah. the next natural thing that would happen. And it's crazy that like... A director could just be like a great writer and a great director, and mm. or, and that'd be enough. But like he's one of the best bits about Nolan movies in general is that he's always his effects are often really practical. Yeah, and as incredible. a productions manager or whatever role his, he takes on, his visual effects are always spectacular, and they always really bring you into the story, mm. and they're incredible. Like all the stuff he did with gravity in in, in Inception. With like the hotel yeah, room yeah, on yeah, its yeah. side and people sort of Which had to floating be down the hotel. So for those of you who remember the scene, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, another random dude having guy. a fight in in a hotel corridor and a car is turning one inception level up. <laughs> and uh, and so the corridor... As a consequence, the, the corridor is turning. ...turns because the person's vestibular system can turn like it recognizes the turning bubble. Whatever it is. This corridor is spinning and they have to... They're fighting and the way that they actually shot that scene was to build a hotel corridor in an aircraft hangar that was mounted on a rotor. Yeah. And it would just actually slowly turn and they would have to actually fight... As well, it was turning. fight, but... <laughs> you know, act fight. <laughs> Someone actually beat the shit out of Joseph gordon Levitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why it was such a good single take. <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. hospitalized him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, like his, uh, you know, at the same time, I agree, his visual effects are incredible. Incredible. I think where he can, he also leverages practical effects. Uh, that's what I meant. Even Sorry, spe they're... special effects is what I meant. Oh, his, right. His okay. special effects, yeah. like practical special effects are yeah, spectacular. Because yeah, yeah. um, I think where he, where he can, he prefers that very much so. Over to, digital to effects. Digital. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny because if you look at uh, Interstellar, so much of that couldn't possibly have been um, practical effects. He had to do it digitally. So it's, it's interesting that watching him transition between a, a, you know, a kind of... Um, a setting where he is able to leverage physical effects to yeah. one where he can't. He just has to do that same incredible immersion and suspension of disbelief well, none in a of, setting where it's impossible None of the to. floating stuff in the spaceships was done with CG. No, they were in one of those planes that does a fucking loop, right? No, no. It, so it was. I mean, they had they're on like wires and they deleted the wires. Oh. but like they they built the spaceships. Um, in multiple different orientations, and then so if the if the if the character is like floating down a corridor, yep. they're actually falling down the set, right? And the set is like on its side. Oh, okay. And then if they're floating the other way, they had another copy of the set the other way. I thought they just shot a bunch of them in those those anti grav planes where like where they, they you know they go into U oh no that, that would have killed that <laughs> that would have destroyed well, yeah. his sinuses forever. <laughs> Yeah, but, but um, that's, that's, I, they they do that in a lot of movies that need anti. Imagine going up and down in a plane like a hundred times just for one scene. Yeah, Tom exactly. Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, not that tall an order, I think. Actually, I mean, yeah. it is a fucking tall order, but. But, um, but so, and so I watched a making of where they were talking about how they did all the different gravity things with like showing the astronauts floating in the spaceship, yeah, cool. and they were talking about how like. There's about eight different ways. I made up eight, but there's several different ways they do it, and they intercut between the different methods and they were saying like a magic trick if someone does the same thing over and over again you can pretty easily pick up on what they're doing and so yeah. it sort of keeps this illusion if you will by sort of 
cutting between these different, different ways that they're making stuff. them weightless. And Matthew yeah, McConaughey cool. was talking about how like they had to sort of pretend like they were being floaty. And if you watch it, you're like, of course, they're under the effect of normal Earth gravity yeah. in real life. But it doesn't feel like it at all. And the way their limbs are sort of floating, moving, um, and the way they're sort of pushing off stuff and very slowly yeah, yeah, yeah. moving around, it really looks like I don't think there's like any point in, in that movie space. where it looked like they were un- in grav. No, it looks like they're in space. It's yeah, ridiculous. That's crazy. Um, and then all this, the whole spaceship, the set design is beautiful. Like it looks like oh, a perfect. like a low budget fucking spaceship that's been. I mean, that's kind of easy. Like they they mm. would have had to. They would have just looked at what NASA's got now and sort of gone. Yeah. Yep. Just take photos of that. <laughs> do that. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, these the robots they have. Tars. Those are and so fucking. I don't remember cool. the name of the other one. Are fucking great. They're Lars, like these, I think. <laughs> it's not Lars. Case. Oh, uh, they've got nicknames. Tars right? and Case. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, they're like a, they're just like a rectangle. Yeah, that splits up legs into smaller that split rectangles. Up. Um, yeah. They're so cool. Yeah, they are. And then like th- the idea that they've got like a rudimentary AI in them as well. A really good AI. And the idea oh, that like rudimentary in terms of it's like limited. <laughs> Maybe by my standards for AI are lower yeah, than yours yeah, are. You got a high AR bar. <laughs> a high A bar. It was already pretty close, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> A high bar. <laughs> there you go. Um, that was better. Yeah. Uh, just they like the best human relationship that Matthew McConaughey has in the whole film was with a fucking robot. Yeah, and yeah. they're like joking and laughing around with this robot. Um, one of the best bits about the movie is the way they integrate science into the film. Mm. There's this fa- famous, or maybe if not famous, like well-respected. Uh, astrophysicist Kip Thorne who was like an executive producer on this film and talked about a lot of the physics stuff the way that the black holes and everything are modelled in this film are based on Kip Thorne's actual theories and apparently and again I haven't got an article for this apparently um, if it's what I think I've read this too yeah um, uh the budget of the film was higher than the amount of research funding Kip Thorne's ever been able to get. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So he had all these equations for like, well, here's how I think a black hole would look or a wormhole or whatever it is. Yep. And then they modeled that in 3D for the movie and Kip Thorne got new insights for his research. Yeah. By they, they using, looking at the modeling. They off the back of this. Yeah, yeah. By using the 3D modeling that they used did for the film because that actually takes like fucking expensive computers and like you know hours and hours and hours and hours and hours if yeah. not months of like cpu time to render some of this shit normally and so um yeah and and so kip there was an interview with kip thorne where they were talking about how um he was sort of consulting on the film and talking about like ways to describe science in the film and talking about how there's a re- there was a real effort to have like current scientific understanding to drive the narrative and to inform yeah. the narrative yeah because there were things like uh you know they they, they do some stuff that this was one of the few movies that fucked around with some real higher order scientific concepts, yeah. but didn't feel like it was just hamming it up. It was they like, said they wanted to have like real science and like real yeah. theories. So that in idea the movie. of the closer you get to a really dense planet, the slower the time, or the 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 faster the time will progress. Yeah. Um, well, the slower for you that it will. <laughs> so like they've got that planet where time moves really slowly. The, I think it's the because they're close planet. to the, the. It's because they're close to the black hole. They're getting closer to yeah. the black hole, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and they've got you know they they have to do a slingshot maneuver a couple of times. Like the way that the light, you're right. The way that the light interacts with the black hole that they have to get really close to, um, needed to be kind of modeled, and mm. he wanted it to look not like any black hole you'd ever seen on a yeah. screen before, and it it doesn't. It looks I just man watch this on the biggest screen that you possibly can <laughs> yeah because it was so impressive seeing it in the movie yeah and I think people talk I think people, cinema, this, this is often yeah, this is often compared to like a modern 2001 set as like a yeah modern it's not quite thing. as cryptic but yeah. yeah but it has like this real sort of epic type feel to it and there's lots of scenes that are really slow and yeah. it's just showing you like just drinking and like look what we've done it looks like this movie's fucking in space yeah and there's lots of just views of the spaceship sort of cruising around through the stars and it Matthew often sets a scene by just having this kind of visual almost like a storyboard card shot of like a yeah just a spaceship hanging underneath this black hole yeah or whatever like it's yeah. just some of the most impressive singular single frames that are, oh. exist in movies at the moment it's just beautiful it, it is a really really gorgeous film I, I i mean i imagine that probably everyone listening to this has seen it yeah um, in which case it's just kind of masturbatory i think it, but i mean i haven't looked at the relative like relative uh grossings of his films but i can't imagine this is his most well-known film 
I would have uh, thought that it was right Batman up there, or man. Inception would be. No, I think no? this was Inception. Maybe was bigger, um, but that got a lot of positive press. I think. Yeah. Okay. Do um, you want? Do you want to look up? It's like I think Rotten Tomatoes does like a relative, or maybe I don't know. Look, look up. I'd, I'd be curious to see the relative box office re- uh, returnings of his films. Yeah. Well, okay. So Interstellar made. Eight hundred and twenty-eight point three mil, Fuck um, and it cost a hundred and sixty mil. That was Inception, sorry. Yeah, Interstellar cost a hundred and sixty-five million. Hey, you got an extra five mil for catering, and only grossed uh, six hundred and seventy-seven. <laughs> so it actually did a lot less well than Inception. I mean, Inception's been out a lot longer. Similar though, so. time, yeah. yeah. Maybe Inception ha- sold two hundred million dollars in DVDs. A, I would imagine there's a pretty rapid drop off in the amount of money that you're making off this kind of stuff. So yeah, um, you could be right, but uh, yeah, this was. I think Interstellar was a better movie. It's, oh, it's just spectacular. Yeah. There's my favorite quote in the whole film is Coop's like sitting on his porch, looking out at this fucking cornfield, and like commiserating about how like school doesn't want to teach his daughter science and about how like yeah. the whole fucking world seems to have given up and he says like oh we, we used to look up at the sky and wonder about our place in the stars now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt mm. fucking great quote mm. did I say worry twice did I fuck it up no no good great quote yeah about it is a, good about and a fictional dystopia and, and it <laughs> paints that it paints that um, yeah fictional dystopia yeah right oh man <laughs> Um, it paints that, uh, or, or the way that it builds that world, it's quite different because like a lot of his worlds, you know, when you look at something like, um, the Batman movies, that's about, that's like localized to a city. Yeah. Um, even then it's localized kind of to a few characters. It doesn't really blow it out too much. Yeah. You got the bat, you got the man. Exactly. (laughs) Inception is, um, about, uh, a group of people really. Mm Um, and again, it doesn't. It, the stakes are quite low relative to humanity. But Inception, uh, Interstellar, is the first movie that he's taken on, where it really is going that that whole like this is a species disaster movie. Yeah, you know, it's like if um, if Matthew McConaughey didn't succeed, um, and and all of the the supporting other NASA astronauts didn't succeed. Astronauts. Nice. Then. Um, yeah, the humankind is actually just fucked. So, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how, like, for fifty years, all action movies were like explicitly tied to the Cold War, yeah. and about how there'd be always like weird cryptic references to the Cold War that seem way more niche now. Mm. I wonder if when we finally cure global warming, and it's fine, <laughs> people yeah, will wonder. Gonna happen. Oh man, I wonder whether people are ever going to wonder why, for like fifty years, there was this fucking. Because like, the last 10, 10 or fifteen years, there's been loads of like huge films that have been like have these like really close global warming links, and it's just funny that that's like our new trend is like there's global warming and everything, and you even have like shitty action movies now that have something to do with global warming. Mm. Where you have like a bio terrorist or something. I think instead, what's going to happen is um, when you're we're just going to burn up and die, and there won't be any movies anymore for yeah. water. Um, <laughs> you're going to think, wow. Uh, Christopher Nolan was right, <laughs> and um, and then you're gonna get uh, <laughs> sandblasted by um, some immense storm, and uh, <laughs> and it's gonna be capitalism's fault. Oh man, sounds like my idea of a party. Yeah. Um, a couple of the things with like time in this movie really sort of emotionally fuck you. Yeah, we're focusing a lot on Interstellar, but I think that well, for me personally, that's my favorite Nolan film. Yeah, well, just just quickly and I though, think it's also uh, I haven't seen Dunkirk. You haven't seen Dunkirk? No, really good. I was avoiding watching it because I don't generally like war films, but apparently yeah, Apocalypse it's not Now is good. A, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. Now was actually really yeah. good. Um, you probably just watched Black Hawk Down one too many times or something like. No, Saving Private Ryan fucked me up. Yeah, just don't watch that when you're 15 and you'll be fine. Yeah, well, I'm going to need you to do some time traveling, mate, and stop me from watching fucking R-rated movies when I was 12. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All other R-rated movies are fine. It was just Saving Private Ryan that really fucked me up. Yeah. That first, the the fucking um, We should do an episode of Beast Station where we make a 12-year-old watch Saving Private Ryan and talk to them about it. Just the Normandy landing scene. How about we just make them watch the Normandy landing scene 12 times? I've never seen it. Don't spoil oh it. I didn't God. know they land on Normandy. Yeah, it's it's the most <laughs> fucked up thing I've ever seen in, in, in cinema. Anyway. Yeah, Jesus. Um, Time. Like, the best scene in the whole movie is where... Big call. 
oh no, is where Matthew McConaughey, they just come back from that planet where like they've spent three hours on the planet and now 21 years have passed so on that's Earth. three hours on the water planet. Yeah, the water planet where like this wave comes down and almost destroys them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they spent three hours on this planet that's right near the black hole and so 21 years have passed on Earth mm. and he gets back up and watches his kids just grow up right in front uh, of him. Oh, yeah, because like they, they receive videos on the on the ship of that they can... They're, they're, it's like one-way video. Video messaging. And yeah. so he watches his, like, his son and daughter um, yeah. sending him messages and like slowly giving up on him. Being like, this is my kid. Oh, my partner says I shouldn't be sending you messages anymore and I mm. said just like accept the fact that you're dead. Played um, by Jessica Chastain, his daughter. Jessica Chastain and uh, I think that Casey guy. Affleck. Yeah, Casey Affleck. Yeah. That's right. Um, and you see, you just watch like his kids grow up, accept that he's dead, and forget about him in the course of like five, o- yeah. over the course of like two minutes. Yeah, really well played by both of those guys. But M- McConaughey's performance oh, it's, it's just basically one. It, it's basically one cut. And yeah. you watch him. You watch, you watch his from, face as he watches the video. You, and you you watch him transition. Like the best from, like, React YouTube channel of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I really wish you hadn't just linked those two things in the, my head. The Fine Brothers are coming for Matthew McConaughey in no time. Um, <laughs> the Fine Brothers? Oh yeah, they're those, they're those React dudes that try to copyright the concept oh, of a right. React video. Sure. Um, the proud I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> you what? You watch him go from like tired relief from just having had this fucked experience where he had to narrowly escape death on this huge tidal wave planet. Yeah. And then he, so he's like exhausted, but relieved to be alive. And then you watch as he realizes the impact of what's actually just happened. So his human life was at stake, sure. And he's escaped that situation. Yeah. But then he has this entire other crisis that he immediately has to face. Yeah. Over the course of like two or three minutes while his children are sending, t- sending these videos just to him. just the most heartbreaking where scene. You just watch him absolutely break down. And, yeah. Um, it was a really impressive moment. Never of, knew that. Of a, never knew that a, a grown man crying could get me more than Matt Damon does. But Matthew McConaughey came close. Oh, oh boy. Jesus, that was yeah, that was hard. Yeah. I definitely choked up. Yeah. yeah. Incidentally, was it? You know, when this movie originally came out, so Matt Damon's in this movie. Yeah. Matt Damon plays one of the astronauts. Where when they go He's to the one pl- of the three. Planet yeah. Guys. When they go to the planet to sort of go meet the astronaut who's like sent up a signal, being like, "Yeah, my planet's good. Come see me." He, he they when they go to this planet. They sort of wake up the astronaut that's been waiting out of this sort of cryo chamber, and out comes Matt Damon. Apparently, Matt Damon like agreed to like not be on the poster and like not be in any of the marketing yeah. or anything, um, so that it will be a surprise. So when yeah. Matt Damon comes out of this chamber like an hour and a half into you're the like, fucking movie, you're like, fuck. "Oh shit, is that Matt Damon?" Yeah, and it is. <laughs> and he looks right down the camera and winks and goes, "It's me, buddy." That's right, it's me, buddy. <laughs> um, Are you happy to see me? Fuck, I love Matt Damon. Yeah, he's pretty good. Oh, my God. He does a good job in this movie, too. He does so good. And this movie came out at roughly the same time as The Martian did. Yeah, <laughs> true. Where people were worried that Matt Damon would be typecast as an isolated astronaut. <laughs> uh, has he been in, like, anything since? <laughs> uh, just, no. Not. He's still stuck on Mars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't you watch the movie? <laughs> <laughs> the documentary. <laughs> Oh. Um, yeah, so I guess like I don't know uh, the rest of. Uh, I don't think we said much very specific about the rest this of film, Nolan's shit, other than just like oh yeah, <laughs> this movie. <sighs> oh. I guess some other honorable mentions. Um, just going back to to what he's done, like so yeah, Dunkirk. If I haven't seen it, you liked it a lot. Dunkirk's really good. Apparently, so, so it does that same playing around with the linear storytelling. Yeah, well, so the bit. I mean, and I think I would have liked. See, I, I don't. I, I knew what he was doing before I went into the movie, and I don't know whether I would have guessed it if. Okay, well, don't I tell had... me because I still don't know, and I will watch it now. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's like I think it's like pretty explicitly a premise of the movie, but it's not. I wasn't quite clear how he was doing this weird editing that he was doing until right. I sort of got halfway through the movie. All oh, right, that's what. It's really cool, okay. and so Dunkirk tells the story of the Dunkirk landing, yes, and um, the British soldiers being trapped on that beach in France. And all Normandy? the shipping. Sorry, Normandy. No, France. No, let's see, <laughs> I know that. I know that the Normandy landing was American soldiers. Yeah. I'm not sure if there are any British people there. My World War II history is just terrible. Yeah, me too. I know it's. I, I'm joking. I've maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I know Normandy is in France. Yeah. Um, and there was a Second World War. <laughs> I think it was in Dunkirk. I think Dunkirk's the name of the the French place. Be a fucking part Fuck of Normandy. My idiots. Yeah. Um, some beach in France. Um, it's, it's part of the land where the land meets the water and the water's like salty. 
And there is um, a beach. And all the British citizens from like this like coastal town just across the strait like come and like pick up soldiers and take them back home. And it's really heartwarming. And it's That's it was the promise of the British military to like get these troops back home, right? Yeah. Or some shit like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, not like all those other times were like, nah, fuck you, you guys are going to die there. Uh, the I beach. think that probably happened unironically a fair few times. <laughs> probably did. Um, yeah. Uh, the other film that we wanted to talk about this time on this little app is The Prestige. Right. Which is my favorite freaking movie. Uh, Dunkirk happened right at the start of the war. Normandy happened right at the end. Right, there you go. Well, not right at the end. Anyway. Um, my favorite freaking movie. So it's set in like... Victorian yeah. England, like 1800s. I was strongly reminded of the Sherlock series. Yeah, it's like this. that exact kind of era. The, the, the guy, is it Guy Ritchie? Who it the fuck is, does the new Sherlock movies? It is Guy Ritchie yeah, yeah, um, yeah. with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and yeah. Jude Law. Yeah, it's that kind of aesthetic. Wasn't there meant to be a third one of those? Yeah, I think it's coming out soon. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Except it's uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Wright. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Uh, I think there nice. might be a third one. I don't, I don't know. This is. I feel like I heard about a third one. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> um, oh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale play magicians who are sort of competing for the limelight in London during yeah. like the friends goal- and rivals. I think just rivals during like start off as friends. Yeah, during like the golden age of magic and the gathering. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, "Is that a black lotus? I'll cut your hand off if you give that to me." (laughs) Oh, Uh, it's a replicated fake, man. (laughs) It's Uh, a a joke for no one. Can I get a Venn diagram of like magic <laughs> the beef station fans and beef station fans? <laughs> it's the smallest circle of the wall. Yep. Um, I think the two, three, <laughs> one person sitting right in the middle of all of those is uh, <laughs> saying the sentence. <laughs> and the, the idea behind the movie is they're both trying to develop more and more complex tricks in order to better the other one and sort of mm. be the best magician in London. And they, they end up being like, uh, um, one of the things that the, the, the movie explores is like, right, obviously, you know, that magic isn't really being done. That's kind of not what it's about. It's about the level of complexity to which you will go to try and make an illusion convincing. And the level and of like commitment you'll have to a trick. And so it's yeah. this like honor of the magician type yeah. shit and like how you're going to like commit like your whole fucking life to this trick. Yeah, and it gets very like mechanical. Like yeah. what do you what machinery will you mm. use? How much and, money will you spend? And what so, will you how many hours will you put into practicing? Yeah. And yeah. so one of the examples they use early on is like when the dove disappears where like there's a cage and the curtain goes on the on the cage and then they sort of slap the cage down and the dove's gone and the cage is gone. They show you that it's like actually the magician just has like a hundred doves that all look the same. And they get crushed. And into they the kill table. a dove every night. Yeah. Um and it develops on and is Michael Ca- Michael Caine's in this one too. Yeah. And Michael Caine is like their tutor slash magic uses trick. A lot of the same cast. Yeah. Just like, as a note. Like Christian yeah, kinda like, Bale. Uh, kind of like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. Christian mm. Bale, Michael Caine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, okay, maybe just the Batman movie in this one because they've been working together. Um, yeah. But, and, and so Michael Caine is like their magic tutor slash like en- magic trick engineer. Mm. Um, talks about this like, this, talks about this like famous Chinese magician who did this show where he would like hobble onto stage and then like pull out all the, all this, like ma- all the shit from nowhere. And his final act would be like, his final trick would be like pull out a goldfish bowl full of water with a goldfish in it out yep. of nowhere. Yep. And the, the trick ended up being that he had the goldfish bowl between his knees, the whole show and constantly at all times in public everywhere forever, he would pretend to be a cripple so yep. that on stage he could sort of hobble around and no one would suspect that he had the goldfish that bowl under his robes the whole yeah. time. And so, and, and so in the same way, Hugh Jackman and, and Christian Bale, in their efforts to uh, have better and better magic tricks, commit their lives to more and more intense levels of sort of commitment mm. in order to have these amazing tricks. And Hugh Jackman's mostly focused around tanks of water, right? I think that that's like the, that's the first uh, that's like the first scene in the film where his wife dies. I don't think there's necessarily a focus on tanks of water. Oh, okay. It's like his wife dies 
when they're working together in physician's assistance, like a Houdini his style. wife dies of like a Houdini-style water escape. Yeah. And uh, Christian Bale's character tied the knots and he can't remember whether he tied the slip knot or a real knot and she couldn't escape and she drowns in the thing. And yeah. so it constantly flashbacks to this water tank thing because he's like emotionally scarred by his wife dying on stage right in front of his eyes. Yeah, right. And so there's that. But... Um, he, he, they have this like one trick that they're trying to do called the disappearing man. Mm. The idea being that like Hugh Jackman finds this one amazing way of disappearing somewhere and reappearing somewhere else on stage, and he, Christian Bale is a better one, and Hugh Jackman is a better one, and they ramp up and up. Yeah, and up. Um, it's kind of an arms race. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The coolest bit about this film though is the way the story's told. So it's kind of done in this frame narrative idea. Yeah, where. I can't remember which way around it goes, but it's like a bit of his like early learning on Memento. Well, yeah, uh, and and Inception. So use like he's got like nested nested narratives within other narratives, and some of them in Memento he plays with memory. In Inception he plays with like I don't know consciousness. Yes, he's playing with time and memory and Mm. consciousness. And so the story's told from two perspectives, and when it's told from Hugh Jackman's perspective, he's reading Christian Bale's diary. Yeah. And vice I guess versa. Inception came afterwards, actually. Yeah. yeah. And vice versa. So when Christian Bale's, when it's all from Christian Bale's perspective, he's reading Hugh Jackman's diary, and yeah. then you find out that like, um, there are like diaries within diaries where like Hugh Jackman addresses Christian Bale within his diary, who then addresses lots of levels of yeah. diaries and shit. It's the most eighteen hundreds thing ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I wrote you, whence you wrote me, when I wrote you, <laughs> whence was the funny bit there. <laughs> Um, David that was, Bowie's that in was the, the turn. David Bowie's in this <laughs> movie magic as fucking Tesla. Oh yeah, that's right. Which is crazy. That is crazy. And then um, R.I.P. <laughs> Andy Zirkus. Tesla's not dead. They make those cars now. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. That's going to date this episode a, w- a week, yeah. <laughs> a week from now, when that company crumbles <laughs> into the ground. Yeah. It'll be worth it for that blunt. Oh yeah, um, Andy Zirkus in one of his like non CG roles. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was this, and he played some weird fucking Albert Einstein movie, and that was it. Yeah, no, he's done a couple. No, nope, nothing. Okay, it's been this Gorillas and Gollum. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't know. I suppose if you haven't seen the movie recently, I don't really have that much to say about it, other than like it's just such a cool movie. Yeah, and maybe it's just because I was obsessed with like magic as a kid, but mm. um. This was I, I I suffered from this movie being overhyped, so I went into it with incredibly oh. high expectations, and I was just like, yeah, "It was good, but like, hmm. wasn't the best movie I've ever seen." <laughs> I don't know. So, I think I just I really liked the ending. Um, it was a good premise, and I really thought I liked the way the whole thing sort of came together. Yeah. Um, I liked the way they told the story, where like there was sort of almost like unreliable narrator type things within the mm. diary. Um. And I just liked exploring the whole like 1800s world. Yeah. Which definitely. I thought was really cool. Yeah. 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 This has been on my Netflix like to watch list for fucking forever. And in, I'd watch in, it with you, boy. I've watched a, it like four in, times. In a twist that feels like it happens to me way too often regarding this fucking podcast, I finally went to watch it again and they pulled it. <laughs> really? It's like the only Nolan film that's not on Netflix at oh, the moment. Oh, what? It's fucking insane, man. It's been on there for like two years. And like this week, they pulled it. Oh, well, or I think I ha- at some point. I think I have the Blu-ray, so yeah. I don't care. But, you know, it sucks to be you. It does. <laughs> Definitely does. So, yeah. Um, okay. I-, I feel like I need to go and watch Memento. It's famous enough. It's interesting enough. Especially in, in, uh, in, uh, in the lead up to the remake, if he's... If that's true, and he's properly just fucking remaking an entire movie, yeah, that's that can't be true. I don't know. It's on. That's IM, insane. It's on IMDb, so they usually don't list like bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really crazy. Centers on a man suffering from short-term memory loss. I mean, you don't have to describe the blood memento. Or maybe, maybe he's like writing a new movie, up. and someone's like, "Hey, Chris, isn't that memento?" And he goes, "Oh shit!" Yeah. <laughs> 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 like he actually has enteric amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> it's like guys I made this totally linear film and <laughs> like, oh, fuck, I have to start again I have to write a new movie this one will be about a man uh, no that's too general with, how about um, uh, a man who's also and his wife is, uh, <laughs> it's been killed <laughs> a man well, okay. who's also fair. a mouse no that's lame a bat shit <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, this was uh it was updated like 8th of May last year. So, I don't know, maybe he's just maybe it's not happening. 
Who knows? Anyway. How about a movie it so was... difficult to understand you need three PhDs? So it says... No, I've done that too. It says there's an original screenplay and it's been announced by him. So, look. Yeah, in 2000... Like in fucking 1999. No, it, it said, trivia, this will be a remake of the 2000 film Memento, also written and directed by Christopher Nolan. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm going to watch the old one uh, and... Hopefully the new one is also cool. So Memento <laughs> came out in 2000, so it's almost 20 years old, which is fucking hectic. Yeah, I mean, I'm never going to watch a movie older than about 20 years anyway. Yeah. So I mean, you need to re- want to make sure they remake it. It's a little sizzler for next week's. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Okay. Well, have you got anything else to say about uh, old Chris N? Let us know what your favorite Christopher Nolan film is on the... Uh, maybe we'll start a poll on the Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Batman movies we didn't talk about really yeah, that much. I fucking love those. They're 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 like I reckon they're akin to like the Matrix trilogy in terms of like yeah. Every now and then I'll just fucking want to watch them again, and they're great. Yeah. One of know. the things about Christopher Nolan movies in general is that it just looks like you're actually there. Yeah, his immersion like, is crazy. It, it looks like in order to watch to make that movie, they just had to make Chris uh, Christian Bale be Batman. Yeah. Like Yeah. And Heath Ledger had to well, you know, like yeah, it affected him. He yeah. had to be the Joker. Yeah. And I've heard that about Christian Bale as well. Maybe that's why they work together. Oh, Christian Bale's fucking crazy. Because he will just like if you've seen um like, I can't remember what that movie is where he's really thin, but like if you watch the, oh, the, yeah, I don't remember. the big the short or something. Yeah, that might be it. If you watch the big short, he's fucking unbelievably ripped. Um obviously that's not Nolan, but Christian Bale will do whatever he has to and then he was like his body. fat in American Hustle he, and he actually put on like fucking 40 kilos yeah. and then like lost it for the next movie he got ripped and, again and for Batman and yeah, it, it, whatever the timeline is so I think he that's part of his process of getting into character is making his body look like his whatever that character would look out. like god he's he must have a 40 year life expectancy because yeah, like absolutely he's fucked his body so many times just doing just uh, the worst possible thing to it. Yeah. Because in the Batman movies, those kind of films, whenever someone's like got their shirt off and you need to see how ripped they are, they've always like starved themselves for days and dehydrated themselves to the point of death. And Yeah. yeah so it's terrible for you. Like Hugh Jackman talks about that doing the Wolverine movies. Apparently there's like... like the worst... He, yeah, it just has to endure these horrible fucking conditions. Apparently, there's like this specific workout you have. To, you were saying dehydrate yourself and have a bit of water right before, like do like a hundred push-ups right before the scene or something. Yeah, yeah. Like get your veins water. all popping. You, have, you got heaps and you of have water like, leading up to that, and then yeah. you don't drink any water like the two days before. And then you have like it, it's like a one-day window. Yeah, where, where you, your body fine. just looks incredible, and you have to get all those shots yeah. in, and then you just have to sleep for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. He must be just uh, used to doing that. Yeah, and I remember reading um, or, or listening to an interview on The Big Short where they were worried. Um, they were worried that Steve Carell wasn't going to be good casting, and a couple of the other guys weren't going to be good casting. Turns out they were great because The Big Short yeah. is excellent. But um, he was like uh, Christopher. Uh, sorry, Christian Bale was the one that we didn't have to worry about because we just knew that Christian Bale would just be whatever character we fucking needed him to be. So yeah. we just handed in the script and we're like, see you in six weeks. And all of the other ones, they had to like workshop and figure out if they'd be right for the part or whatever. But yeah, I think Bale just does kind of whatever he needs to to look exactly like their character. And That's pretty cool. It really is part of that immersion that I feel like Nolan is going for where it's like, I don't want to cast people that are just good actors. I want people to be these fucking characters. I want you to be Batman. Like, yeah. Kane has to be Alfred, you know? Like, Here's a fun fact about Interstellar. I don't know if you knew this, but you know all those cornfields in the film? Mm. There was no area they could find where they could shoot, you know, that also existed that had that much corn just going on and on and on forever. Right. And so they actually planted 500 acres of corn, <laughs> grew it to full size, and then when the production was finished, it says they harvested didn't it. Want to CGI stuff in? Yeah, yeah. harvested it and sold it, and made all the money back oh, on the God. corn. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, Fuck, I guess why wouldn't you? Yeah, um, but he. Lo- I just really they love sell it as interstellar corn. <laughs> I'd buy that. Hell yeah. Um, I, I I would really love. I I just really love his to approach to farmer. the effects, where like all the effects where he can are practical and it really gets the actors involved and it really sucks you in as an audience member. I think it's just always better. 
Like we yeah. just, it won't always be better, but at the moment, mm. practical effects are always better because well, we'll get like, to the point with a computer where we yeah, can like do all, stuff. Like all that. modern movies use shitloads of digital effects. Yeah, exactly. That you don't even notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like when people say, and I think there's, there's like a YouTube channel that'll have to show you that like talks about filmmaking technique and that kind of thing. And one of the episodes they talk about is like all modern movies use shitloads of digital just effects. Heaps, yeah. And when it's when the movies use digital effects badly or don't integrate the practical and the visual effects properly yeah. that people say, oh, practical effects are always better. Um, yeah, because right. like it's easier to fuck up digital, digital effects, yeah. I guess, than to like fuck up practical effects. Because you can do a certain amount of effort in a practical effect and it'll look good. Yeah. But it takes a lot more effort, I guess, to make a visual effect. Yeah, that well, looks you just can as tell. Yeah. Like, you can still tell at this point in time. There's some stuff that looks incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, boy, you can tell. Yeah. I think we, I think we could probably wrap, probably wrap it up this yeah. week, um, for for reasons that are probably too complex to understand. <laughs> we don't have any news for you this week. Yeah, let's just say that some funny things with time. <laughs> let's just say that uh, one hour on Beef Station is about two weeks down on Planet <laughs> Earth. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Good shit. We don't have any news for you. Um, so I think. I think that's all for episode 16 of Beef Station. Join us next week where we'll come up with some more goodies for you. I've been Oscar. Andrew. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>